بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله والصلاة والسلام على سيد المرسلين وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين أما بعد Today we want to discuss types of thoughts that come into our mind and how to deal with them how to distinguish whether they're a good thought or a bad thought whether it's a positive idea whether it's a deception in disguise because this is what generally uh, is the complicating issue here so I'm going to take this actually from uh, Maulana Shavali Thanwi and Maulana Masyullah Khan's uh, retention of or recension of some of uh, his thoughts on this he's saying that thoughts that cross the mind the heart of man are called khawatir khatira khawatir khatir means a thought khatara khatara means something that occurs in the heart so khatir it's a thought such thoughts are at times virtuous and at times they're evil and I'm sure we can relate to that these thoughts emanate from different sources virtue if the thought is virtue uh, virtuous then it's inspired into the heart sometimes by Allah Most High directly sometimes through an angel called the Mulhim the inspirer and sometimes even virtue is inspired into the heart by the devil so this is where it gets complicated the world is a sophisticated place humans are very sophisticated and our emotions and psychology our intellect all of that is extremely complicated so virtue can be inspired sometimes by Allah sometimes by an angel a good angel and sometimes well all angels are good and sometimes um, even by the shaitan evil assaulting the heart sometimes now the evil that comes to the heart sometimes is from the devil not all the time sometimes from the lowly self the lower self from the nafs which happens a lot of the time especially if it's something addictive especially if it's something we're used to and it's just telling us to do it again reminding us of its pleasures and generally and at times from Allah most high it might sound absolutely blasphemous but that is also a possibility and that's the very dangerous one pious inspiration is from Allah most high pious inspiration from Allah most high served the purpose of honoring one or for establishing some kind of proof for a person so if it's from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that he gives us a direct insinuation for something good then that is an absolute honor it's a very special point the evil thought that comes from Allah most high the total opposite appears as a test and to impose some kind of labor and effort on the person so that means it's something very targeted from the angel mulhim only comes goodness alone because that's all they are there for to provide good inspiration because that's his function to guide towards good virtue to the good thought emerging from the devil is deception whenever the, there's a good thought that comes from the devil obviously that's deception he casts his spell in the form of a good thought but in reality it is evil designed to divert one from the greater virtue by involving one in a lesser virtue the purpose of evil emanating from the devil is to deceive and disgrace man and you will generally see that if people are very used to doing certain types of worship or good deeds, 
but they find it very difficult to do a superior deed, then that means it's an issue. Somebody finds it very easy to go and listen to lectures of certain individuals, but to go and make salat, they still find it very difficult. And they justify them listening to lectures, for example. They find it very difficult to read Quran on their own, but they find it easier to listen to it. Right? They find it easy to listen to some, some, some reciters, but they find it very difficult to take the Quran to read it for themselves. That means there's an issue here. Evil emanating from the lower self is meant to mislead man and to divert him from the truth. That's the nafs issue. The good that issues from the lower self is extremely negligible. It is comparable to that of the devil. Distinguishing, how do you distinguish this, the signs of evil from Allah and the devil and the lower self? How do you determine what is what and the difference between them? If the evil thought is from Allah Most High, it is recognized by its firmness Allah, and one's total inability to combat it. One will discover that one is unable to ward it off. If the evil that afflicts the heart is firm and retains constancy, being a solid, unchanging form, that makes the lower self extremely restless in the desire to commit the evil, while at the same time all effort and means of combating the evil are made useless in the face of the onslaught of that evil, then such an evil thought is from Allah Most High. This is when you've tried everything, you still can't help it. Where uh, You're trying, not you've tried everything. You're, this is about a specific instance. Because otherwise the nafs is very similar on an ongoing sta status. The remedy for such a thought is nothing but the p to petition Allah Most High. Like just cry out to Him in servitude, seeking His aid of protection, humbling oneself and shedding tears of concern and regrets. Because this is a trial from Allah Most High and only His aid will be of any good. If the thought of evil is not as pressing and severe as is described above but remains static, then it is from the lower self. <clears throat> means for example if you really want to do something but then you're able to divert it by going and talking to somebody else by going and you know changing your state or whatever or by praying salat or something like that then that's lesser form but you just can't you just then that could be from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala but again I think there's a I believe there's should be a very it's a bit ambiguous as to which is from what if a thought of evil assaults the heart by having after having sinned and it occurs vehemently, then such evil is from Allah Most High. Committed another sin and then you feel like doing another sin and it's very strong, then it is most likely from Allah and His purpose is to disgrace the sinner and act as a punishment for having sinned. A lot of times what happens is you may miss the next prayer. Which is a big deal indeed. Missing a prayer may not seem as bad as committing a haram. Because it's an inactivity. Okay, I missed a prayer. But that is very significant. If after having sinned the thought of evil occurs to one, but not strongly, not vehemently, it enters feebly, then such evil is from the devil, providing that it disappears or is weakened by engagement in remembrance. Because shaitan, the one thing clear about the shaitan's insinuation is that if somebody does dhikr, it should go. 
If it doesn't go, then it's from the category of the nafs or from the third category. With regards to this, the Messenger of Allah وسلم, said, Verily, the devil clings onto the heart of man. When one remembers Allah, the devil retreats from the heart. When man becomes neglectful of Allah's remembrance, the devil asserts himself again with his whisperings. If the evil thought that assaulted the heart after having sinned does not disappear or weaken by remembrance, then such a thought is directed by the lower self. That's the habit kicking in. The devil was the victim of such misguidance by the lower self when he proclaimed his greatness on the occasion of his refusal to prostrate to Adam salam as commanded, neither could his remembrance ward off the evil thought of his lower self, nor did the exhortation of Allah most high benefit him. Because remember, he was supposed to be a, a worshipper at the time. That's why they said that nafs is worse than the shaitan because the nafs also corrupted the shaitan. Shaitan became corrupt after the nafs was corrupt. So it's difficult to say that the shaitan was the first evil because the nafs is the first evil. It's a shaitani nafs, you give it that description. Nor did the exhortation of Allah benefit him. The cause of this rebellion of the devil's lower self was the absence of servitude, of abdiyya, state of total Submission, being a slave to another. The devil further lacked humility, hence nothing was of benefit to him. He just didn't have the ingredients to help him out in that situation. He possessed no true insight, hence his obedience and his worship were mere bodily exercises shown of the true insight that is in the heart of faith. This condition of the devil became manifest with his rebellion. If he had possessed the insight of faith, he would not have engaged in disputation. He wouldn't have argued, but would have submitted and derived pleasure from such submission and true obedience. Argumentation, disputation and doubt always occur prior to mushahada. True, certain and established knowledge. Now this is a matter of experience. What he's saying here sounds really, you know, it's something sounds very unusual, but what he's saying is that when a person keeps trying and trying and trying to reach Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala before he's able to cross the threshold and get certainty, yaqeen yaqeen he will go through possibly um, a, a bout of extreme doubt to challenge him further if he has the requisite knowledge that's why knowledge is so important then that doubt can be overcome with the grace of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then a person moves into so it's like the f a, a final kind of boundary of attack to unnerve him and to distort his ideology but if he's able to overcome that then he gets into certitude then it's a lot more uh, a lot more easier sailing so that's why they, they numerous scholars have had this where they get this doubt Imam Ghazali's story is very famous when he when he gets this doubt and there's a number of others that get this doubt, this uh, unnerving uh, state. And it depends on how you react in that state. That's why I said argumentation, disputation, doubt always occur prior to mushahada. If a virtuous thought settles firmly over the heart and one is unable to attain a peace of mind without performing the act of virtue, if a virtuous thought comes into the heart, and one is unable to attain the peace of mind without performing the act of virtue, then that good thought is from Allah. Like if it's such a pressing act, 
just the same as the opposite. But this one is, you must do it, you must do it, you can't help it, you just, you know, there's no way you can get rested without doing it. Then it is from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And it will also be from Allah if the virtuous thought occurs after spiritual struggle and worship as a reward. Or if the virtuous thought happens to be related to the principles and acts of the batin, the, in, the internal dimension that pertains to the spirit. Allah says, and those who strive in our way, we will most certainly show them our ways. So after a person has done a lot of mujahada, a lot of efforts, and then suddenly Allah gives him the tawfiq to do something, then that means it's from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. In other words, Allah most high will direct them towards his proximity, reward, and paradise. This verse is, is proof of, uh, that's a special tawfiq. May Allah grant us that. This verse is proof of what has been elaborated in regard to the virtue that emanates from Allah Most High. If the virtuous thought entering the heart is not as resolute as explained above, or it occurs initially without one having resorted to spiritual struggle, or the virtue relates to the details of the external acts of worship and righteousness, then such inspiration is from the angel mulhim. So all other in general, it's from the angel Mulhim that keeps giving us tonight. Just like shaitan gives us in, uh, whisperings, this angel gives us good. And the one who's winning in that case is the one who indulge more, who we indulge more. So if we indulge the shaitan more in his insinuation, then the angel will get a bit weaker. His voice will be, will be lower. But if we indulge the angel more, then the shaitan's insinuations will get lower and lower and lower. So one thing we understand from this is to try to do everything that we're inspired to do so that the bad inspiration becomes less and less and less. So it's about giving dominance. And the more we give dominance to one over the other, that's how the heart will change, the, the, the nafs will change as well. How to recognize whether a virtuous thought is from Allah or the devil? A virtuous thought, have, uh, a virtuous thought having the following ingredients is from the devil. A virtuous thought that has the following uh, uh, ingredients is from the devil. Number one, it produces total delight. Now, you think it's good to be delighted at a good deed. But delight unchecked by fear. What that means is that a person feels so confident that that's it. I'm the most pious or righteous individual now. There's no fear that um, I've still got a long way to go. Is Allah happy with me or not? It's full aman, no khawf. All hope, no khawf, no fear. Uh, number two, it demands haste. And the haste it wants is unchecked. It pertains, so then you do it hastily. Number three, it pertains to something whose consequences are not at all considered. So you just do it, you're not going to be considered about what happens afterwards. The following five instances are excluded uh, from this rule. So if you get these three thoughts, but they're about the following five issues, then it's not an issue. Then it's not a problem. So this is a bit complicated, but I said it's not easy. So if you have haste, total delight without fear, and you're not worried about its consequences, you'll understand it's more. You'll understand it's more with this thing. The following five in, uh, instances will be excluded from this rule. Number one, marriage to a virgin, marrying someone. Right, 
payment of a debt. Burial of the dead. Feeding the visitor and repenting from sins. Saying these are five things where they have to be done anyway. So in that case, if that's how you feel, then these should have less deception. Because burying the dead, payment of a, of a debt, marriage to a virgin, I think that probably refers to marrying somebody else afterwards uh, as a second or uh, um, uh, a mar- thinking about a married woman or a, a widow or a, something else. I think that's probably something different to that. If the And repenting from sins, of course, that can never be a bad thing. If the virtuous thought is accompanied by delight tempered with fear, and one is still concerned about the consequences of the act, if it is translated into practice, then that virtuous thought is from Allah Most High. So this is not generally about, always about reading tasbih or something like that. You can't really go with that, wrong with that. This is talking about a general practice that is seen as a worthy practice. Like, shall I go and help out in the masjid? Shall I go and help that relief agency? So this is not talking about ibadat as such only. This is talking about a virtuous practice. Now it makes a lot more sense. Remember when I said that some people would love it to just go and listen to a lecture and join a program or join a retreat or whatever the case is, but find it very difficult to make namaz and salat. So you see that, um, you, you, you see that retreat or whatever and you say, yeah, I want to go there. You don't think about the haste. You don't, you don't, sorry, you don't th- you do it in haste, basically. You get ultimate delight by doing it. You're not really worried about anything else in that time and you don't think about the consequences like you may miss out on something else or whatever the case is so it's a very kind of shallow thought that goes about unless it's to do with those five things that we mentioned so if the virtuous thought is accompanied by delight tempered with fear and one is concerned about the consequences of the act if it is translated into practice, then that virtuous thought is from Allah Most High. It has also been said that such a virtuous thought is from the angel Mulhim. Well, we can't tell, but it's a good thought, alhamdulillah. That's all. That's important. Fear in the context of this discussion means concern and anxiety to render the virtue fully and perfectly. That's the fear. So you just want to do the act. You don't care how it's done. It's just done. That's the issue because it's very shallow. But if you're concerned that, am I doing this properly, completely, that is what fear means. Observing all the required rules and etiquette pertaining to that act whose thought has occurred. At the same time, one is anxious in regards to the acceptance of the deed. I'm doing this deed, but will Allah accept it? Come on, let's go to Masjid Laksa. Yes, yes, absolute delight, wonderful. You know, why not? You know, it's a good time out, good place to go. I've got an excuse. But I'm not worried about whether my act is going to be accepted. It's going to Masjid Al-Aqsa, just like Medina Munawwara and Masjid Al-Haram and uh, uh, Masjid Nabawi is a source of reward. It's a virtuous act. It's an ibadat as well, in that sense. So if I just want to go there, just because it, it means going somewhere, or going to a virtuous place, but I'm not worried about whether I've got all the sincerity or Allah will accept it, and so on and so forth. I'm not connecting myself to this act in a, in the inner dimension. It's just the external dimension of it. That means it could be a problem. That example shows us 
quite highlights the issue. So fear in the context of it means concern and anxiety to render the virtue fully and perfectly, observing all the required rules and etiquette pertaining to that act whose thought has occurred. At the same time, one is anxious in regards to the acceptance of the deed. Will Allah Most High accept it or reject it? This going to Aqsa. It's going for Umrah. Will Allah accept it? I know outwardly it's a beautiful thing. Look what people are going to say. You know, I feel good about it. But internally, have I, is Allah going to accept it? The meaning of being concerned about the consequences in, uh, is in relation to guidance, virtue and hope for reward in the hereafter. There should be no other motive. That's ikhlas. So many times uh, shaitan may make us do acts without ikhlas. Make us feel good factor. That's why I observed in um, some places uh, there would be a, you know, a major conference that would take place or something like that. And it'd be a family kind of affair and enjoyment and everything. And people think I've done enough for my deen. I've heard people say, you know, in America there's a massive conference that takes place and a lot of the Muslims in America come to it or hope to come to it. The Isna Convention, they call it. And you hear some people when they're talking about themselves say, Alhamdulillah, you know, we, we go to the Isna Convention as well. And to be honest, I mean, it, when you hear that from somebody, you just feel like, you know, what is going on here? You know, as though, Alhamdulillah, we go for Hajj every year. I mean, in the context of this saying, I go for Hajj every year, doesn't even make a difference. Because if the internal batin is and then it's just a, a trip. And subhanAllah, there are people who go for Hajj, they're tour operators. Or they work with a tour and they go. And... They get tired of being in Makkah, they go to Jeddah for three days just to, just to, you know, they don't do any Umrahs. It's just organizing. So that's a possibility there as well. And then somebody says, oh, I go to the, this conference or that conference every year. You know, as though that's a big guarantee of something. Mulhim is the angel, is the name of an angel who occupies the right side of the heart while waswas is the name of the devil who occupies the left side of the heart of man a hadith explains this when man is born Allah Most High creates an angel and a devil along with him the devil makes his abode on the left side of man's heart and the angel settles on the right side both of them are called upon both of them then call upon man it's just it's a constant um, constant uh, competition between the two this is related by Ibn Kathir some efforts, concerns, and rem some effort, concern, and remembrance, among which the recitation of "La Hawla wa La Quwwata Illa Billah" is very effective. All right, uh, will suffice to ward off the thought of the devil. Saying "La Hawla wa La Quwwata Illa Billah," you're essentially asking Allah for help because you're saying that there is no ability to abstain from evil or to do good deeds except through Allah. So then Allah will help you. Allah Most High says, Verily the scheme of the devil is weak. So in reality, it's actually quite weak. Because it can be easily dealt with. Whereas the nafs is much stronger. You can't just say, A'udhu Billah, and it's gone. And it diminishes. It doesn't happen that way. The devil goes away though. The best remedy for the thoughts and whisperings of the devil is to totally ignore them. How does one know that one is ignoring such thoughts of the devil? The recognition of this 
is that one will not be unduly bothered or vexed when such thoughts assault one. That's when you know that you can ignore him. It gives you ideas where you say, oh, I don't care. Doesn't. May Allah give us this state. The state of indifference that existed prior to the entry of satanic whispering should also prevail after these thoughts have entered the heart. Same kind of ign uh, ignoring of the shaitan. Such assault should therefore be a cause of happiness and not sorrow. When the noble companions explained their concern and vexation about these satanic thoughts that afflicted them, the Messenger of Allah said, This is clear evidence of faith. He said. The fact that you're getting these thoughts and you're concerned about these thoughts, that is Iman. Because thoughts will come, but you have to be able to ignore them. A thief makes an attempt only where there is something of value. So shaitan is going to do that. Regarding the desire of the lowly self, great effort and great struggle are required. So this is the shaitan one is very easy to deal with. However, the lower self one is a bit of an issue. There are three ways of combating the desires of the lower self. I think this is very important. This one is very important. Number one, preventing it from loss by denying it its nutrition. Denying it nutrition. Its desires should not be fulfilled. Now, you know when it says desiring it its nutrition, he is obviously referring to nutrition as something different to what we understand of nutrition. However, there's a connect a contact between the two, a connection between the two. I remember there was a friend of mine, somebody I knew who was bad to somebody else. And once I visited him, he was in another city, I visited to, uh, him in his house. And I realized that he's eating very specific types of food. And I asked him what's going on. So then he showed me this write-up that he had from his sheikh who had studied all of these things very in-depth and this would be a regimen that he would put his murids on that you're only allowed to eat this type of and you know you have to avoid these certain types of food with particular nutritions and so on and so forth because they affect the nafs so what modern atanwi is saying here preventing it from lust by denying its nutrition is a lot more truer than he may have thought it was in the sense that it's a lot more universal than he thought. He's talking about nutrition in terms of you know the things that may affect it spiritually. But here, also the foods that we eat have a big, big... A lot of people, they're eating all of these really now because all of these things are very available. Easily. Rich foods. Right? Rich, rich foods. Which were supposed to be a luxury. Throughout history, they've been a luxury for the majority of people. This was the food of the Nawabs. Do you understand? But that has become commonplace now, especially for us in the UK and in the West in general, you know, with our ability to just go and buy whatever we want. Just look at what used to be in supermarkets even 20 years ago and what's available now. All these luxury things that would have been just specific royalties are found now everywhere. Right? So, for example, the baklava that, you know, we, we can just find anywhere today, that was just made in the in the Ottoman royal kitchens, that's where they were. That's what they were. That's where they were invented. That was a royal delicacy, not for the streets. But now it's just available everywhere, and that's just one thing. So, preventing it from lust by denying its nutrition, its desire should be not be fulfilled. Much resistance has to be offered to the lower self. When a wild horse is denied food or its food is reduced, it becomes submissive. 
it does become submissive and it will become subdued and the lustful demands of the lower self will be ended. And that's why they say what? Fasting? For when the desire for marriage is too strong? That's the ultimate thing, fasting. So fasting helps a lot in this regard. Now initially, when people start fasting, they get even more heated. But it, that's because the system is just overcompensating in the beginning. But eventually it should become regulated. Number two, the imposition of worship on the lower self also, demand, also weakens its demands. And as a mule becomes weak and submissive, if along with denying it food, it is given a heavy load. So you deprive yourself, so you eat less, eat simple things, and on top of that, you put extra worship on yourself. Similarly, the lower self will be transformed from a state of restlessness to tranquility by imposing on it beneficial worship. It will go back to its nature of simplicity and find contentment there. We are above our level. We are way above our normal human level. We're playing a different game and we expect to get restless, restful in that state. We have to come down. Otherwise, the state we're in is a very difficult state. It's a very enriched state of the dunya that we're in. And you'll find it very difficult to deal with all of these issues because it's a state where it's open to indulgences. It's like in the world, right? If you're a simple person, you don't know where anything is or what the case is, there's no issue. When you get to that higher level and you're moving in those circles, you're going to see it everywhere. It's just a challenging state. So I think we're just bowling way above our level. You know, we're just somewhere right above that. Seeking the aid of Allah Most High, Allah says in the holy, uh, the number three, seeking the aid of Allah Most High, Allah says in the Quran, verily the lower self incites to evil except when my Lord is merciful. Illa marrahim rabbi. Then the lower self will become, uh, will become obedient. Adoption of these three methods with constancy, uh, with constancy, Will Allah willing make the most will lower self obedient and submissive? Man will then be safe from its evil promptings, even after having gained control of the lower self. One has to be alert at all times. Even once a person reckons that he's gained some kind of control, because heedlessness, ghafla, is extremely dangerous. It causes the lower self to assert once again its dominance and control over man. So the three things again is preventing it lust. By, uh, uh, from lust by de denying its nutrition its desire should not be fulfilled so just uh, opposing it the imposition of extra worship uh, will help to weaken its demands and seeking the aid of Allah Most High constant dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala basically what we just read there was an, a, a conclusion of probably years and years of experience uh, personal experience dealing with others culminating in all of these points so we just have to translate that into our own lives and may Allah help us that's why Ramadan is generally an easy state an easier time because we do additional worship then of course the shaitan is in there so that helps so that's a time when you can generally gain some control over the nafs we're eating less as well. All the factors are there in Ramadan. You're eating less, so less nutrition. 
you generally don't uh, avoid the promptings, external promptings, and then you're doing extra worship. So that's the state. So Ramadan needs to be throughout the year, ourselves, not that, not that, not as an obligation, but as a self-imposed thing. اللهم انت السلام ومنك السلام تباركت يا ذا الجلال والإكرام اللهم يا حي يا قيوم برحمتك نستغيث اللهم يا حنان يا منان لا إله إلا أنت سبحانك إنا كنا من الظالمين اللهم صل وسلم على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم oh Allah we ask you forgiveness oh Allah we ask you forgiveness for all of our wrongdoings our excesses our mistakes, our sins by daylight, our sins at night, our sins openly, our sins secretly. Oh Allah, we have sinned. Oh Allah, we have led a life of sins. Oh Allah, we have led an entire life of sins. Oh Allah, our thoughts have been polluted. Oh Allah, our whole lifestyle is incompatible. Oh Allah, we ask you for forgiveness and assistance. We ask you for help. Oh Allah, we ask you for assistance. Allah assist us and help us, have mercy on us, have mercy on us, have mercy on us. Oh Allah, many of us, we don't even know that we have problems. Oh Allah, we're in compound ignorance. Oh Allah, we're in this state, heightened state of unawareness. Oh Allah, we ask you for awareness and tawfiq. Oh Allah, and guidance. Oh Allah, we ask you for tawfiq and guidance. We ask you for forgiveness. We ask you for assistance. We ask you for mercy and your blessing. O oh Allah, O oh Allah, fill our hearts with your light. O oh Allah, fill our hearts with your light. O oh Allah, everything else fills our heart at this time. O oh Allah, our hearts are constantly connected to all other things besides you. O oh Allah, O oh Allah, we're ashamed to say this, but sometimes we make you an afterthought. O oh Allah, we ask that you make this a priority. You make you a priority in our hearts. O oh Allah, make our hearts the way you want them to be. O oh Allah, make our hearts the way you want them to be. O oh Allah, make your obedience beloved in our heart so that we want to do it. O oh Allah, we ask you to make it easy for us. O oh Allah, we're involved in many, many things. We make tawbah and then we relapse. We make tawbah and then we fall back. O oh Allah, we ask you for special assistance. O oh Allah, we ask you for assistance. We ask you for purification and preparation before our death, for our death, to meet you. Oh Allah, make the best of our existence the moment we stand in front of you. That we are happy, but above all, you are happy with us. Oh Allah, be happy and satisfied with us. Oh Allah, make our actions and our personalities worthy of your happiness and satisfaction. Oh Allah, we ask you for your rada. We ask you for your satisfaction. We ask you for your satisfaction. Oh Allah, we ask you for ease in this world, ease in the hereafter. The best of this world, the best of the hereafter. Oh Allah, we ask you that you guide us. You guide us aright. Oh Allah, protect us from all the evils that are out there, all the challenges that are out there. Everything that lures us, that takes us away, that distracts us, that detracts us from your path. Oh Allah, make it this easy for us. The upcoming year, make it better. The upcoming Ramadan, make it better than any previous Ramadan. Oh Allah, we ask you for our permissible needs, to fulfill our permissible needs to protect us and our progenies until the Day of Judgment from all the evil that are out there, to help and assist the Muslimin around the world. Oh Allah, to make our surroundings conducive for us to worship you and to elevate your karima la ilaha illallah. Oh Allah, 
Oh Allah, bless us and bless all of our mashayikh and our teachers and our students and our friends and our family members. Oh Allah, and the entire Muslim ummah. Subhana rabbika rabbil izzati amma yasifoon wa salamun alal mursaleen wa alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen.